five, six months ago, I started looking into this passage in Numbers, the 27th chapter. I thought about when Cyclone Edai hit the port city of Barrow. The storm caused disastrous damage in the nations of Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi, in these nations. In fact, they found days later, they found bodies that had been drowned in Zimbabwe and their bodies had been taken all the way down the coast. They found people in the nation of, of Mozambique and Malawi where the water had taken them. Our general presbyter there, Stephen Masalela, reported that this particular area in Southern Africa had never seen the volumes of water that had been produced as he shared the impact. And, and I had somehow missed this in the news the impact of the 19-foot wave that moved into the city in Mozambique, went through Beria, and then exited out of that city with the tropical winds developing into a Category 3 hurricane. He said that they had never seen the tragedy that came as a result experienced in this part of the continent. Most damage done among our people were in the lowlands of Mozambique, where we lost 16 churches and where 98 families of, that belong to us, that are members of our church, lost everything they had. Their homes, their food crops, family members. Uh, many waited on tops of roofs that were still standing for days to be rescued because of the flooding. As I began to hear the reports from Brother Stephen and, and others in those regions, I thought about, as a grandmother now, holding these twin girls that are holy terrors these days. <laughs> Ashley and Aubrey, two, they are two. And I thought about being a grandmother holding these two babies when a 19-foot wave hit and how the water would rip them out of the arms of mothers and fathers and how you would try to hold on or does your thinking think, I would drown, but maybe if I release them, they will be able to float. You just don't even know. And yet, many of our family in Mozambique experienced that. As I, as I considered that and wept, and I've seen the pictures of our families there, I saw one picture where this sweet little family is living in a space defined by two pieces of material. I think there's a towel hanging on a string this way, and maybe a blanket of some sort hanging this way, and they have what little bit they have left in the middle of, of, of what I couldn't even explain to you, perhaps, in, in this nice large room. I saw another picture where a mother was standing with several of her children. The father is gone. They don't know where he is. Uh, a couple of their children are gone, and they are living beside a wall with just a few of their... I saw a pot and maybe a bowl and just a little bit of a wrapped up of something, some kind of clothing, and they're living... That's all they have left, and they're living beside a, a, a wall that has been torn down. They're living right there and sleeping there. And, and I saw a little place that looked like it had a fire. And I thought about the effects 
uh, the storm, a 19-foot wall of water moving past and into everything. Um, I think it's a good illustration, perhaps, concerning the unleashing of power, yeah. unleashing of winds, unleashing of rains, flooding, a wall of water moving, invading everything in its way. Nothing stops this kind of unleashing of power. Nothing. It, it pushes right past it, pushes it down. Nothing stands in its way. Nothing. Mm -hmm. I guess it was Sister Wanda that wrote to me the distinctions of this word unleashed mm -hmm. that we were going to look at. Perhaps you have it in your notes. I thought it was good to look at a strong or powerful force to be released, to throw, shoot, or set in motion forcefully. That's what Jonathan did to his baby sister this week when he pushed her down the stairs. Mm -hmm. To allow or cause something very powerful to happen suddenly. Mm -hmm. And as we use these distinctions and correlate them to the theme of this weekend of what he will do in us. Yeah. A strong or powerful force to be released. The power of God released to free us and unencumber us. Yeah. Do you remember when Jesus said to Martha, you are careful and troubled yes. about many things. Yes. I think that might be said about most of us sitting here tonight. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're even thinking that tonight's usually grocery night. Maybe tonight's the night you do your errands and filling up the car or going through the car wash or a hundred other things. And maybe for a few moments while you've been sitting here, you're thinking about all the things that are not getting done. That's when we realize that we are encumbered yes. with many things. We are troubled yes. with any many things. In fact, it seems to me we are so, the, the more the, the world tries to streamline things, the busier we become. Have you noticed that? Yes. They came up with emails so that you wouldn't have to write long letters anymore. You could just write two or three lines. Where I used to get seven letters a day in the office, I now can Often, I get close to 200 emails. Well, how did that streamline my life? Yeah, I don't think so. It seems to have complicated, perhaps. The second one, to throw, shoot, or set in motion. And I think about the power of God releasing us, empowering us, or unleashing a spiritual force that sets us in motion with strategies of how for us not just to leave this stuff behind the sweet young woman who was talking about the burdens every time she did that seemed to get heavier didn't it so not just unleashing us or freeing us from the troubles and burdens but speaking strategies yes. on how to set in motion how we can walk in freedom yes. Jesus says about Martha you are troubled, uh -huh. but he says about Mary, one thing is needful, and she has chosen, hallelujah, the good part. Somehow, Mary had learned the strategy, not of just getting out of work in the kitchen, not of just uh, painting the sheets on the beds, but she had learned the strategy 
of sitting at his feet. Yes. Making herself comfortable. It was not something women got to do very often in those days. Mm -hmm. There were other things that were our responsibilities. And only the men usually got to sit at the feet. The third thing, to allow or cause something powerful to happen suddenly. I think about the power of God instantaneously causing us to realize the work of the Holy Spirit and how he unleashes us to lay aside every weight to run the race before us, but further to become the vessel of his unleashing. Yeah. Not just so that we are unleashed, but that God can use us as a force to help others yeah. and to bless others. The world tells women to unite and become militant and demand what is ours, what is do us. Stand up with us, they say, and let us fight. Second Corinthians says, I love this passage. In fact, there's, it's a longer passage than what I'm going to give to you. That whole first reading of that first chapter uses this word again and again, comfort. We'll pick it up on verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us that we might, what? Comfort others. Yeah. He comforts us in our tribulation, that we can comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That's one of those times where you use the same word to define what you're saying over and over and over again. God help you if you don't know the original word comfort. You're lost, aren't you? For as the sufferings of Christ abounded us, so our consolation also abounded by Christ. Hallelujah. So we aren't just unleashed. We aren't just unleashed to have strategies to walk in liberty, but we are unleashed to be the vehicle or the vessel that God also unleashes others and sets them free. We expect and anticipate his power, his authority, his unrestricted, unrestrained, unreserved authority to move in and through us in the next couple of days. And so with these thoughts, we'll go to Numbers chapter 27. We're going to be talking through or sharing through the first 11 verses of that passage. I have read this passage many times in my life. Every time I read the Bible through, I get there. But I've never really looked at it to, to really study it until just a, a few months ago. I was looking at it and it caught my attention and I started studying some of the parts of it because I thought it had something to teach us as women. It's a powerful illustration of unleasing. The Bible tells us in this passage, Zelophehad had five daughters, Mela, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terza. And we read in this passage, the challenges that women faced when they looked to be unleashed from tradition, from traditional roles, from expectations, and how to affirm their rights with the dignity of Christ Jesus. 
Amen. They were moving through transition. And a lot of things happen to us in transition, don't they? Yes. When we're moving from one thing to the next. Their transitions are never easy. I hate change. I hate change. We say we love change. We, and we do love change, but it's all for somebody else. Don't try to change me. Amen? Amen? I think there's an old country song about that. Don't try to change me. Don't go changing. Something like that. Well, Numbers 26, the chapter before this one, describes the transition as they're moving from wilderness wandering to possession and to purpose, to fulfilling the promise of God. They're moving into what God has promised them. In the 26th chapter, the Bible says that God has instructed them to take a census of all males under the, uh, I'm sorry, over the age of 20. As a part of that list, as we read through the clans that actually made it through the wilderness and find themselves ready to move into the promised land, we read that Zelophehad had no sons, only daughters. As the census was concluded, God instructs Moses, as everything's done, God instructs Moses, among these shall the land be apportioned as shares. Now let's define who these are. They're the males over the age of 20. The ones that were listed in the census. And so we can conclude that the daughters of Zelophehad have no part in this, and they will not receive any land through inheritance, even though it's been promised to them and to their family. Now think about the limitations that are put on us in life, the limitations that are extended that we have to overcome. I've been, every time I go to the doctor and have an examination, he says this, or she says, depending on which doctor I go to. Well, you look good for someone. <laughs> it makes me mad. It makes me mad. You're doing really good. Your heart's coming up. You're doing good. Are you really walking seven miles a day? That's good for someone. <laughs> I feel my temperature rising, and I think about the limitations that people begin to put on you because of their expectation of where you are. They're not there, but that's their expectation. Are you with me? And so because Zelophehad only had daughters and no sons, in this Old Testament account, the limitations were that these sisters were not the gender that were going to be considered for gain, for property. What is it for you? What are the limitations that have been put on you? Maybe it's the language that prevents you. Maybe it's the color of your skin that prevents you. Maybe for you, it is your past. Maybe for you, it is your citizenship. Perhaps for you, it is your last name. And that it's not 
Clements or Davis or 10 or 12 other names. Perhaps for you, fill in the blank. Maybe you're too young. Maybe you're too old. Maybe you're too skinny. Maybe you're too much the other way. I have found in my 63 years of life as of last Saturday, there's always gonna be someone standing close to you, telling you you are not good enough, you are not qualified enough, you are not trained enough, you are not smart enough, you are not good looking enough. Do you know right after, right after I'd been told that I was moving from women's ministries, I don't tell this a whole lot, I don't like to tell it a whole lot. In fact, I hate to tell it, but here it is. I was told that I was being moved from Women's to Global, and I'd be coordinating efforts around the world. And I didn't really want to do it. I wasn't given a choice. This is just, this is how it was. You're being positioned, like everybody else in this building's being positioned. It's not because you're a woman. They made it clear. In fact, a woman's never been in this position before. But that's what's happening with you. So I went through that assembly with a knot in my throat and a knot in my stomach. Because I'd also been told that I couldn't tell anybody. Because they thought if women got wind of this, there would be an uprising. <laughs> there was no uprising. But I went through the week uh, just kind of real low gear. I didn't look a lot of people in the eyes. The overseers that would come to me that didn't speak English and didn't understand what happened in the meeting said, Emana, no, ministerio de damas? And I'd, I'd go, and I'd feel the tears coming. I'd think, Kathy, calm down here. And they'd say, oh, I'd say, you know, what do you do? And then they'd say, missions? And I'd say, hallelujah. <laughs> Went through the week with really mixed emotions. And I think it was on Saturday, the day before the assembly ended, and one of my heroes in the faith, it was after service one night, we were, we were sitting around the altar, and I, I saw my hero in faith, and, and so I went over to greet them and speak to them, and they said to me, you're going to missions? And I said, well, that's what they tell me. And they said, you will fail. You are not qualified. You, you, you are not capable. Who, whose idea was that? You, you will surely fail. I thought, wow. And I felt the breath going out of me, and then I felt the Holy Spirit rising to respond. It's true. I'm not qualified, and I'm not capable. But I wasn't for this job, and I came in it either. Our qualification and our capability has to come from him. That wasn't anywhere in me. In me was get to a corner and cry your heart out. I did make it to the hotel room before I started bawling like a crazy baby. There will always be someone telling you that who you are is not enough. 
but let me tell you there is another voice. And that voice is in you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus said, there is one that comes after me. He will be in you. He will teach you all things. Hallelujah. And he will empower. You will receive power. Amen. And so, as we sit here tonight, all of us incapable, unqualified, we know it is the Holy Spirit that says, my plans for you are good. They're good plans. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You will call on me, hallelujah. You will pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Hallelujah. So this text opens by mentioning the five daughters by name. Let me tell you something. There's like 956 names of men in the Bible. It's like 127 women. So the fact that the author of Numbers records all five of their names is significant. I love that song. He knows my name. He knows my name. Hallelujah. They're good plans. The text opens, their father has died. According to the law, only sons could inherit the father's law. But this man didn't have any sons. He only had daughters. The daughters were restricted. They were leashed. They were bound up by the law of God. Not by man's authority. This was the law of God. This is what had been given. This was the, the law of Sinai. Okay? So this is what God had spoken. And, and so there they are realizing that they were about to be left out of the community because there are no sons that were going to inherit. So they decide to go before Moses. Eleazar, the priests, the chieftains, the entire community at the tent of me at the entrance of the tent of meeting to challenge the law and the system that would have been set to discriminate against them. Are you with me? Yes. Hallelujah. I want to say to you first, there's always three points in a word, right? Here's the first one. They dared to leave where they were, to go out where God was leading them to be. They dared to move from their place of comfort, their place of safety, to go out and make their case. They left their social place, their living place, their permitted place from the destiny that had been imposed upon them to go and challenge the law of the Lord. They understood where they are and they understood if they remained silent, their father's name would no longer have a place in Israel. They would never, they would not have a place in Israel. And so the text states, the daughters of Zelophehad came forward. They stood before Moses. They stood before Eleazar. And they stood before the chieftains of all the assembly. 
Can you imagine the scene with me? Ooh, hallelujah. The Israelite camp is formed in tribes. Each one, each tribe that has its particular place. It's a designated space of authority. With the tabernacle in the middle. And in the center of all of that stand the main authority figures. There's Moses. There's Eleazar. There are each of the chieftains of each of the tribes. <laughs> and here come, in this structure that they have done now for 40 years, come five young women to stand before. They were not called. They were not invited. They moved from where they were to stand before the authority of man. Hallelujah. Can you imagine how imposing that was on these women? All of them there. To claim what had been promised to them by God. To unleash the rights for them like all the other rights were being unleashed at that moment. They go out from their tents. They are not called. They go with the highest ranking men to the congregation, to the place where the tablets themselves from Sinai rest in the ark, to the place of holiness, the place of authority, the place where women did not have a space, a place where women were not welcomed. Can you imagine the men when these five young girls started walking toward them? Wow. Never happened before. Never happened before. And so I'm going to digress here for just a moment. For just a moment. I think it was 1996. I think that's right. And they had called all of the presiding bishops from all over the world to Cleveland, Tennessee, as we were changing our structure. I was a woman under the appointment of the general overseer. And by that appointment, I had been invited to a meeting that was strictly for presiding bishops. Guess what about presiding bishops? All men, no women. Jan Couch was also there during that time. And so we had been invited by the general overseer to be there. We had heard the restrictions about women being in that meeting. The bishop, Murray, said, I have invited them. They're on my staff. I have authority to invite them. Others that were in the room when he said that said, I applaud your efforts, bishop, but I don't think you have the authority to do that. And so we went and we got all the way to the door where someone stopped us and said, you can't come in. And I said, really? They said, no. And I said, but Bishop Murray. And they said, yes, they're talking about it. And I said, who's talking about it? All of them are in a conversation. And I've been told to stand at the door and to prevent you from coming in. I said, okay, should we go back to our office? They said, no. Just wait outside. There's, this, there's a bench right over there. You can sit. I'm sure it won't be long. Hour and a half later, we were still sitting there. Wow. It was hot. It was so hot. 
We were sweating. Everything that was feminine about us was gone by this time. <laughs> One of the brothers that worked with us at the office came up and said, what are you doing out here? I said, they're talking about letting us in. And he said, why? And I said, because we're not bishops. He said, well, I'm not a bishop either, but I'm going in. And I said, okay, you can try, but I don't think you'll get in. He said, I most certainly will. He walked in the door and we saw him like three seconds later walking right back out. <laughs> and joined us on the bench. <laughs> he wasn't a bishop and he wasn't a presiding bishop. So here we were. Finally, Jan said, I'm going back to my office. I'm not sitting here anymore. I said, sit down, Jan. She said, I'm not sitting here anymore. And I said, sit down, Jan. She said, why? And I said, because there's a bunch of women right behind us. Yeah. And we're forging a path. Yeah. And we get to be. Yeah. Yeah. We get to be the blessed yeah. to forge this path yeah. that will be easier walked in after this day. Amen. Amen. here came the very man that had prevented us from coming in. He said, you, you guys can come on in. They've, they've decided to, that you can come in as observers only. You can't speak, but you can come in. So we came in, we sit on the back, and the Lord blessed, and we observed. We didn't talk. Jan did fall asleep <laughs> when we were supposed to be praying. And we heard at lunch all the guys saying, I don't know how you can observe when you're asleep, but it's this kind of scene that these women came to. I want you to understand the ramifications of it. This had never happened before. Never happened before. So let's get into it. I love, I love this narrative. I can't believe it took me so long to find it. They walk before these men and they, they leave where they were to go out. And secondly, they not only come forth, but they speak with determination and confidence. They say in verses 3 and 4, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not one of the faction, Karah's faction, which banded together against God, but died in his own sins, and he left no sons. Let not our father's name be lost to his clan, just because he had no son. Give us a holding among our father's kinsmen. Now look at these women. They know their law. They know their history. They are not emotional. They don't go crying to the men. But let me tell you something. Men don't know what to do with crying women. They don't. And so if you go and you get all emotional, you get up in somebody's face and you're crying and they're going to dismiss you. I love these women because they don't do that. They don't go into their feminism. They don't go into their little maneuvering, manipulating. They build a foundation on the law and on their history. They build a firm foundation. They use the fact that their father was not involved in the rebellion as evidence to support his and their claim to the land. 
They know that the continuity of family name depends on inheritance of the land, and they realize that the current law, though God's law, is inadequate. It does not take into account their situation, a man without sons. They possess the insight to recognize this omission in God's law. And they, because they consider God's law to be just, or at least it aims to be just, they show no hesitation in pointing out the unfair nature of the present situation with complete confidence and supporting their, their claim with compelling arguments. Know and understand the word of God, my sisters. Build your foundation. Know what God has promised you. Don't say to the enemy, well, I know somewhere in the Bible it says, no, 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 know it. Know it. Understand this word is the authority of God. The authority of God. Know what it says. Know what it holds for you. Hallelujah. Know the parameters of what has been given to you. And they use the word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they, they know the promises and they petition the man of God. Be willing to be vulnerable when you are about to be unleashed. Be vulnerable to the power source that God has positioned inside of you. God is positioning us strategically for his glory and for our good. Sometimes when we talk about being positioned strategically, we refer to this understanding of being released of the Lord. We refer to this place of positioning as his purpose. Sometimes we call it the secret place. But it is not a secret place because he has told us where it is. It is under the shadow yeah. of the Almighty. And how does Moses react? The Bible says in verse 5, he takes, he doesn't know what to say. So he takes it to God. He says, those, those Delophi hat daughters have come and said, he discloses his inability to determine what is right. So he takes it to God, who responds by unequivocally supporting the sister's demand. And God also promulgates a new and permanent law to secure inheritance for any daughters, not just in this day, but in all the days to come. The sisters go forward to show the fallacy and they are used of the Lord to change the inheritance law in Israel forever. Amen. To this day, to this day, this law is still in place. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They insist on change by using the traditional of what they've been taught. Something the rabbinic sages recognize when they describe the women. The men that were there, listen to what they say. And I got this from the Talmud. Zelophehad's daughters were wise. They were astute interpreters and they were pious. They were wise because they spoke in the precise moment when the decision was issued. They were interpreters because they in essence said, if my father had a son, we would not have spoken because he would have had the inheritance. And they were pious or righteous 
or holy because the only other way for them to have get, gotten land was to marry a man who had land. And they did not want to marry men who were not worthy of them. <laughs> now that's, that's what the sages said that were standing there and watched it come down. This, this achievement was a landmark in women's rights regarding the inheritance of law and of land. The story of these women offers a compelling lesson for all of us who believe our destiny has already been fixed and there's nothing we can do about it. For those of us that believe divine justice has abandoned us, it encourages us to think differently. It encourages us to move differently. It encourages us to hope differently. Hallelujah. It helps us to understand obstacles are just obstacles. Hallelujah. They're not walls. They don't stop us. They just provide the need for creativity to get around them. Hallelujah. 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 Perhaps the most important legacy that these daughters give us is their willingness to take hold of their lives to move from the restricted place that others had, been, had given them or place that we chose to stay because we felt immobile, incapable, unable, unqualified. Yes. Hear what I'm saying? Yes. It encourages us to walk yes. even to the most holy center. The place where maybe no one has ever been permitted before. It encourages us. God gives us the ability to know what's right for us and what our blessings are. When we believe in our ability and capability to shape our history to even to the place of changing the law that had been in place from the revelation of Sinai, we honor these five women. And I want to tell you something else while I'm here. The more revelation we have of who God is, the more fully we understand who he's calling us to be, who he's anointing us, and how he uses us to move. Sometimes we talk about, I need a miracle. I need healing. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And we call out, I need a miracle, God. Perhaps tonight we might begin to understand, not only do I need a miracle, but my sister beside me needs a miracle. Yes. And maybe God is using me. Yes. Yes. Maybe God is using me to step forward to make a difference. Hallelujah. That yes. even my sister might also yes. be unleashed yes. to lay aside every weight for the purpose of God to be revealed yes. in me and in others. These daughters of Zelophehad were courageous. Not only were they set free, but from that day forward, all daughters were set free. And I, the, I think my favorite part of this, sometimes I hear ministers say, well, you know, God moved and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't in front of anybody else. He did this in secret. It was a sweet, sweet moment shared with him. And there are those moments where it's just you and I. I've been in I've been in major services where there were hundreds of people where I crawled under my chair. Yes, at my age, I can still do it. 
to get away from anybody that feels like they want to come lay hands on me and prophesy over me for those sweet, sweet moments. But one of the things that I love about this is God did this in front of everybody. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. In front of all the big shots. In front of all the big names, in front of all the important families, in front of all the men of honor, here are five daughters that God takes on their cause and sets them at liberty. Hallelujah. And I love the timing. The fact that they came at the precise moment of need. When, when the decree was being established, it's so important for us to understand what the right time is and how to move in that time. At the exact positioning of the census, at the allocation of the promised land, as the families were transitioning from wilderness to possession, at the exact moment, God moved his daughters with courage and righteousness to make their cause known. If they had gone earlier, it would not have been strategic and they might have been dismissed. If they had waited until later, it would have been late, too late and all the land would have already been allocated. They moved at the precise moment of God's plan. You can be at the right place at the wrong time. Can you imagine Bartimaeus getting to the city gates 15 minutes later than he did? He would have missed the encounter. He would have missed the, the, the miraculous. They were there at the exact moment. The, the right moment. The time of his visitation. I'm always baffled when someone comes to me after an amazing move of God in service. You know the kind when we're when we're hanging to the lamps and we've danced and we've celebrated and, and service is over and we're kind of sitting around, it's really sweet, we're exhausted, we're sweating, Janice, our hair's gone, our, our face is gone, our clothes are wrinkled, our shoes have been long gone. It's, it's been one of those sweet moves and you're sitting there just kind of lingering because of what God has done. It's been a powerful move and now it's over and service is over and we're just starting to move out. And it's so sweet as we consider what God has done. Without fail in these moments, someone will walk up to me weeping. And I think, where were you just a moment ago?
When the Holy Spirit's troubling the water, don't be occupied. Don't wait till service is over. When the anointed is lifted and everybody's tired of the flesh. Uh-uh. Be right in the middle of what God is doing in the very moment. We can even be positioned at the right place at the right time and miss the purpose of God. What if Bartimaeus had heard all those people telling him to shut up? What if it had what if it had intimidated him? You foolish old man, shut up. But Bartimaeus understood. He had the anticipation. He knew this man could do what he needed done. And so he just kept yelling. And let me tell you something about this. The miraculous that Bartimaeus experienced, it benefited him, but it wasn't all about him. It was about the revelation of the glory of the Lord. It was about the revelation of how God sets us at liberty to again be who he's called us to be and to accomplish that for which we've been called and that for which we've been anointed. Yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I think about, I love that story of David and Goliath. I, I, I love every part of it. But I think about how people accentuate that from that day forward there were songs written about David. But that battle between David and Goliath had very little to do about David. Very little. It was all about the revelation of God. And David understood that. I, you come to me with the sword and spear, yeah. but I come to you. Yeah. <laughs> and the name, and the power, and the authority of a God who never fails. A God who's alive, a God who's here, and a God who works and ministers to and through his people. Hallelujah. Amen. Wasn't about David. It was all about God and his justice. The miraculous is about God revealing himself in these moments of greatness. It's not just about us. It's not about our name or our ministry or our kingdom building. Though we benefit, right. it's all about him. Oh, yes. Amen. The miraculous opens the door for the unexplained. Yeah. Hallelujah. For the doubters to see, for the knowledge and glory of God to be revealed. It's not just about being at the right place at the right time, but knowing why God has positioned us there and what it is we're supposed to do. Because I want to tell you tonight, we are part of something that God is doing. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're about our own business. Oh, yes. Yes, my passion has always been about missions. My passion has always been about evangelism. My passion has always been about young people. I guess I will die a youth leader, though I don't get to see it in myself very much anymore. It's my passion. It's what God put in me. And when that fire gets to burning, there, I can't, sometimes I can't even sit still. Sometimes I have to get up from my seat and go to the back when, when I feel, when I witness that power of God moving. We recognize that these daughters are simply part of something that God is doing. Yeah. That's all they are. Their presence in the community mattered. So when we get to this, this narrative, we understand, hallelujah, that God is revealed, his purpose is revealed, and we see why their request was so important. God had reserved them throughout all eternity for this day, for this day. I read on a shirt the other day, we had taken a couple of days to, 
to rest, so we went to Disney World. Who knows that you don't rest at Disney World? <laughs> Standing in line, and I saw this, this kid in front of me with this shirt on. It was incredible, powerful. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't be who you are. I thought, where is that in the Bible? Well, it was Lady Gaga, so I don't guess it's in the Bible. <laughs> But I suspect that thought is somewhere in there. I've just got to dig it out somewhere. God calls us for his purpose. And we cannot fulfill that purpose bound, tied up to our traditions. Amen. Tied up to our expectations for someone else. We, we must be free. These women understood they were at the mercy of the men in their lives. And without any men, they were in danger. But they also understood that this sense of belonging was about to leave. Their lack of a brother or a father meant that they no longer belonged. And in the midst of a story that is all about remembering who we are, that is a tragedy. So they stepped forward. They could have been sent to find to marry, find their place in the community in that way. Instead, Moses and the elders seek God. What is your word? It was a risk. It was a risk for the women to challenge the way we always do things. They were asking for the community to do something they've never tried to do before. Wow. And you know what God's answer is? He checks. He checks the law of Sinai. And he says, whoops. They're correct. There is a loophole. And we got to close it up. In essence, listen to what God said. We've been too restricted. We've been too closed. And it's hurting my people. I don't want anybody left behind. No one. Hallelujah. And so we would learn later in the prophet, as he said, God has all of our names engraved in his hand. Can you imagine the, the size of God's hand, who he is and how he is? Even the women who don't have brothers or fathers, even the orphans and the widows, even the immigrants who are coming across borders illegally, even people who, according to our rules, don't belong. Yes. The daughters of Zelophehad see things differently, and God says they're correct. In one little narrative, 11 verses, everything changed. Everything. The inheritance of God's people expanded. The meaning of belonging expanded. The understanding of God's gift expanded. Because five women were willing to leave their comfort zone and to become unleashed from everything that had defined them before this moment. Hallelujah. And step forward to say they too were God's chosen. They too were God's beloved. And they, too, had a part of God's promise. Everything 
changed. Yes. Hallelujah. Sometimes I don't, I don't think we comprehend our worth to God. God wants to use you to change Zelophehad's daughters are mentioned in the Bible five times. They are always mentioned by their names. Hallelujah. You may have been told that women are second-class citizens in the church. You might have been told your role is limited because of your gender. You may have even been told that women are less valuable to you might have been told that women are less useful to God. But the Bible contradicts this. They risk their reputations. They ask for something revolutionary. The leader took them seriously. He asked God. And God said, correct. Fix it. There are many church leaders. Not so many in the Church of God of Prophecy. But some. And some in other fellowships who restrict women's involvement in ministry. And I can tell you, I know they don't pray about it. They just point their fingers at the rules. I remember hearing Anne Graham Watts. She'd been asked to speak at a, in a big conference in the church where she's licensed as a teacher. She'd been invited by the leader of that conference. She didn't step up of her own. She'd been invited. And the night she, she walked to the pulpit, there were rows and rows of people in that building. But in the first 15 or 20 rows, all men had sat there on purpose. They filled all those seats. And as soon as she came to the platform, pulpit, and opened her Bible, all those men got up, picked up their chair, turned it around, and sat back down. You know, I'd hate to be one of those men at judgment. I heard, I heard an evangelist, and I'm coming to an end. This is my, this is my last story, I think. I heard an evangelist who was preaching, and, and uh, um, it was a tent revival. And uh, he was using a woman to minister. And in the midst of that process, another man came up to attack the woman and to make her sit down. And as she, as he got close to the woman, the evangelist commanded the man to be still. And the man was frozen. He couldn't move. I, I wish I'd been there. I would have loved to have had a picture of this. But he just, he was frozen. He could not move. And he stood there for an hour while the woman continued to minister. When she opened the altar, everybody in that tent came forward. <laughs> God is not limited. Amen. He is not limited. He is not limited. Hallelujah. God contradicted centuries of prejudice. God contradicted centuries of wrong-headed tradition. And he made it clear women were not afterthoughts. They have equal value. They're vessels. 
I know that there are women who struggle to find their identity in Christ because of, because of reasons, sexual molestation, domestic abuse, shame, abortion, sin. But I want to say we cannot allow our past or the wounds that have been inflicted on us Amen. to stop us from being unleashed Amen. for the power of God to use us. From gaining our inheritance, gaining the promise of God, he calls us beautiful. He takes our filthy rags and he gives us a righteous, pure wardrobe. Regardless of the pain of our past, our future is glorious. Finally, point three. The daughters banded together, gained strength and solidarity. They did not go in a hierarchical manner. In fact, we don't even know which of the sisters was the oldest. I told you their names are mentioned in the Torah several times. Do you know every time their name is mentioned, it's, it's mentioned in a different order. We don't know who was the oldest. We don't know who was the youngest. An ancient tradition teaches that each of the five daughters spoke saying five different things. The first one said, our father died in the wilderness. The second said he was not of Korah's faction, which banded against Adonai. The third one said he died in his own sin. The fourth one said he left no sons. And the fifth one said, let not our father's name be lost to our clan. The daughters were intentional about the way they presented their request. They presented it in a non-threatening way. They presented it from a point of being remembered. Let not our father's name be lost. Their heart was that of continuity, not demanding women's rights like we think today, but to bring honor and respect to their family. And we have much to learn from them. To stand up for what God has called us to do. To not stand by and just move in tradition, but to take action. The action that God is calling us to, to move where generations are affected. They prove that tradition is not set in stone. We are part of a continuing evolving story, a story that we share, a story that we know where we came from, hallelujah. A story of community, hallelujah. It is not just enough to tell the stories. We have to take action of where God has put us. We have to be positioned where he's positioning us. We have to contribute to the task of making the world better. And understanding, helping people understand what God is like because they see him in us. To have the courage to speak out about what is wrong and come to the place, hallelujah, where we're making the world the kind of place we want our children to inherit and to lead. God does three important things. He states that the women are just. He gives them their father's land so the dad's name is not lost. And then he gives them a hereditary holding. So not only do they receive the land, they can give it. Hallelujah. Faith knows and desires what God has promised. 
They make us rethink fate. They provide us with a message of hope. And they come together and they believe together. I'm going to tell you that I've had, I've had encounters, difficult encounters with men. Might not surprise you. Can I tell you the hardest, most wounding encounters that I've had that are prejudiced have been with women? More so than men. Women who cut me all the way down. Some of it might be jealousy. I have to believe some of it is that they just don't understand. We've got to change that. Amen. Amen. We have the opportunity to change that. Amen. That means I allow you to be unleashed in the way God That's wants right. you to be. I, I may never beautifully move to a song, but I have to trust that God's anointing is mighty. And being used through other people that yeah. do other things differently the way that I do them. We have to learn to appreciate one another and stand together. I appreciate the fact that these five young women stood side by side. There was not a break in their community. You might look at me, I'm I'm probably not as formidable as I was. 25 years ago. I'm not as formidable as I was five years ago. You might look at me and say, you're not all that. And maybe I'm not. Come join me, team. But look at me now. That's right. You. <laughs> look at me now. That's right. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. be unleashed. I know you know, most of you know my story. The short and long of it all was I was, I had a birth crisis, feet first. Doctor didn't want feet first, or the nurses wouldn't let feet first baby for each baby to be born without the doctor. They held me inside my mother. So when I was finally born, my legs were bowed, my feet laid up against my legs, my face was deformed, my nose was gone, my muscles in my neck had been damaged, my head had been shoved to my shoulders. I looked pretty sad. I've only seen one picture. I think they only took one picture of me. In fact, I was certain for the first little while that I'd been adopted because there were no baby pictures of me. The doctor said to my mom, if she lives, She'll always be deformed. She'll probably never walk. And there's extensive brain damage. So she will spend her life retarded. He left the delivery room. My grandmother was outside. He said, I know you're a praying woman. Pray this child dies. She will never be worth anything. Now that's the voice of the enemy. And the truth is, the truth is, I couldn't do anything to change that. Nothing. But now my mama, she and the Lord are like this. <laughs> and she took me. My dad was out blaming God in complete rebellion. My sister, who was a year and a half older, resented me being there because I required so much attention. She tried everything to get rid of me. When I was asleep one time, she hid me between the wall and the bed. My parents could not find me until I woke up and started crying. They threatened her. She would not tell them. What a baby. She kept me. What a baby. She tried to flush me down the toilet. When I didn't fit, she poured gasoline on me and struck a match. Thank God, Mamma was there. But my mama, she understood that we have authority. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It gives him the authority yeah. to change, yeah. Yeah. to transition us. And she gave me to God, believing yeah. that he would use me. She sold him. I don't ask you to heal her. I don't ask you to let her die. I give her to you that you might be glorified yeah. in her. Yeah. Praise God. Months passed. There was no change. One day she saw my face growing. My neck is healing. My muscles were healing. My head is moving. My legs are straightening. Not with braces, not with casts, not with special shoes. God was touching. He was healing. From nowhere, in the middle of my face came a my nose. Hallelujah. His hand began sculpting me. Came the day to look at me. I was perfectly normal, Mama said. Perfectly normal. I'm saying, for much confidence, I look as good as anybody here. <laughs> because someone yeah. came alongside of yeah. me yeah. to unleash me from what had been determined for me. Yeah. It's not all about us. We've got to be unleashed because there's a world. God is strategically positioning us for this day, for this season, for this moment, for the moment of life. others. Yes. Hallelujah. Mom was there for me. Thank God she was. Thank God she was. 
God is using us. And I believe that some of us are sitting here and you find yourself in an impossible situation. And maybe you've even said in recent days, maybe more than one time, God, I need a miracle. We sang the song tonight, Move the Mountain. I know you'll do it again. Well, I believe there's some of us that he is doing it again. He's doing it right now. He's moving beyond tradition. He's moving beyond law. He's moved into grace. He's moved into mercy. He's anointing. He's transitioning. He's turning it around. And he's doing it right now. He's doing it right now. We've seen God do the miraculous in my mom. I just thank God every day for what I see him doing. Every day, he's faithful. And he's faithful in what's happening in you right now. And in the midst of what's happening in you, God is using it and he's turning it. The other day, Peggy Clement sent me an email and, and uh, she said a woman called and she may have posted it on Facebook about going through this cancer process and it hit me. Peggy's just come through the end of it. She's just finished her last surgery. I, said, I wrote her back and I said, look what God did in you. He's made you a pastor to all these women who are starting the process. And now he's going to use you to unleash the fear so that it will be gone. Hallelujah. To unleash the terror, to unleash the what ifs, to help women believe that God is on time and he's moving. Hallelujah. God wants to use us as we bind together. He wants to give you your miracle. He wants to position you strategically. This is a weekend for him to release and reveal his power and his authority in us.